Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. Now, on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the New England Patriots' loss to the Miami Dolphins and why most of the optimism that came from last week's win against the Bills is, in my opinion, shot down by this week's loss to Miami. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some uh, Celtics news and Red Sox stuff. So let's get started. Um, and let's uh, look at the game. So it was not the best game for the Patriots. They lost uh, uh, 17 to 31. Miami was a very good team. They were uh, a better overall scoring team. Uh, three touchdowns for Tua, an interception. Uh, two touchdowns for Mac Jones, an interception. Um, 10 carries, 39 yards from Andre Stevenson, 7 carries, 36 yards for Ezekiel Elliott, um, Raheem Mostert, 13 carries, 46, uh, Jeff Wilson, 523, uh, Kendrick Bourne had a touchdown, Juju Smith-Schuster had a touchdown, um, Jalen Waddell, 7 receptions, 121 yards, 1 touchdown, Tyreek Hill, 8 receptions, 112 yards, 1 touchdown, Cedric Wilson Jr. had 1 yard, 1 touchdown, um, yeah, it was uh, an interesting game for sure. Um, and uh, Anthony Jennings had a fumble, or Tua had a fumble, Anthony Jennings for the Patriots recovered. Um, we saw Cal Duggar with a sack, Christian Barmore with a sack. Um, we saw one sack for uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, Christian Wilkins, uh, Bradley Chubb. Cal uh, Duggar had a 15-yard interception. Jalen Ramsey had a 49-yard interception. That was his first game back uh, with the Dolphins. Uh, Jason Sanders was 1-1 on field goals and 4-4 on extra points. Chad Ryland was 1-1 on field goals and 2-2 on extra points. Bryce Beringer had 265 yards punting, 5 punts. Uh, Jake Bailey had 3, 146 for Miami. So it was not a great game for the Patriots. Um, By no means did the Patriots look uh, like star level. um, And... It was just, to me, it was another loss on the the charts. And um, I feel like going into this game, there was a lot of Patriots fans who had hope for this season. And I feel like this season has just been so squashed by the fact that uh, now um, we lost one. And it's weird because everybody kind of expected us to lose these two games. And we did uh, win one and lose one. And I think once the sort of... um, the Buffalo game happened, we kind of just thought, okay, well, now we're going to be rolling. We're on a roll. We're going to get going. And I think Miami kind of just said, you're still uh, not a great team, and we're going to put you back into your place. And so this was basically a little bit of a reality check that maybe we're not as good uh, as uh, we could have seemed to be, Uh, especially if you're looking at kind of uh, what was um, coming Um, in the next uh, few weeks or so. It's kind of an up-and-down schedule. Um, But uh, I think this game was was not a game we were going to win. And going into it, I did think we were going to come close, but I didn't think it was going to be a victory. Um, Although I wasn't as, uh, I would say, 100% out on the Patriots in this one because of what happened the week before. But I think this was a good sort of... um, you know, realization for the Patriots that, yeah, you might win a few games here and there, but it's not really going to be a good season um, because something's going to take you kind of back and just bring you back down into 
um, sort of uh, bring you back into reality. And so, you know, when you look at the rest of sort of the schedule of things um, and kind of where the Patriots uh, go um, with their schedule moving forward, um, there's a lot of games that are kind of up and down in a sense that they could be, you know, a team that wins games against very bad teams and they could lose games against uh, teams that are not great or uh, whatnot. And so, you know, our next uh, matchup is against Washington. Now, I don't think we're going to lose that game because, you know, it's it's a Washington team that did lose to the Eagles, but they are overall a pretty solid record. Everything. Um, so we're going to probably lose that one. Colts have Gardner Minshew, and it's not Anthony Richardson, but he's not a bad, uh, you know, guy uh, to be your quarterback as a backup. And Jonathan Taylor's there. We haven't had a ton of success in recent uh, with the Colts. Um, you know, here and there we've had some good games, but, um, you know, it's one of those uh, where I don't think we're going to win that one. Now, the tough thing uh, with the week after is the Giants. And when you get to what would be week 12, it's going to be probably two teams with bad records trying to to fight for a top pick. Uh, I don't think the um, Giants are looking at anything special this year. Um, so this is going to be an interesting one because I think both of these teams will have very similar records. So it's not like one is really competing for a playoff spot or should be. Um, and so I don't know about that one. I think the Chargers are probably going to win week 13 um, because, um, you know, I think they're a good team or at least an average team and Justin Herbert's going to get them uh, above that hurdle. Uh, week 14 is the Steelers. Um, I'm not really uh, sure what's going to happen here. I'm going to say this one is probably going to be a win. I'm saying the rest of these games, uh, we'll say, uh, are going to be losses. Um, but uh, the Steelers... Uh, I think that'll be a win. Just We're going to win something, um, and there's that. And then we get a game at home, Week 15, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. This is probably going to be a big victory for Kansas City because this is probably going to be a Taylor Swift game. In part, uh, Taylor Swift loves uh, coming and performing at Gillette Stadium, and she also uh, is connected and dating Travis Kelsey. So uh, Kansas City, I expect her at that game I expect Kansas City to win that game. Uh, and then you have Week 16, Denver Broncos. And Denver is like uh, the New York Giants in the sense that they're going to be a bad team this year. And both teams are the Patriots and Broncos trying to kind of win uh, that top pick. And so by this point in the season, if you don't have a ton of wins, you know, that's, that's not really going to, um, you know, you're not going to be fighting for a win in this game. Uh, these teams aren't going to be probably playing as good because they're not as good uh, of teams. And so uh, this one could be a win. This one could be uh, a loss. Um, I'm saying it's probably more of a win uh, for the Patriots, but I guess really we don't know. Uh, and then you got the Jets uh, and the Bills. Bills week 17, Jets week 18. I think we're going to lose to to Buffalo. We're going to win against the Jets Uh because the Jets are um, better than us, but they can't seem to beat us uh, for some reason. So, assuming that maybe um, Pittsburgh, I say that's probably a win. You know, I think the Jets will be a win. And then between Denver and the Giants, one of those will probably be a win. 
So add three more wins to our total. Uh, we only, I think, have two wins on the season. So we'd have five wins, which um, I don't know if that's top 10. Um, I think it probably would be 9, 10, 11 range, maybe, depending on how other teams go. You know, if you look at just the standings uh, in uh, the NFL, uh, you have a bunch of different teams that are going to be trying to fight for a overall number one pick. Um, and if you look down at the bottom, technically, at this point, uh, the Patriots uh, have the worst in the AFC, worst record in the AFC at the moment. Uh, and then if you go down, you have two teams uh, in the NFC, Arizona and Carolina, who both have um, records that are um, worse than the Patriots. So we're sitting at number three and actually looking at our uh, records of things, the uh, Chargers actually aren't that great of a team either. Um, the Colts aren't that great of a team. Broncos aren't that great of a team. Uh, I honestly thought with Justin Herbert, the Chargers were a much better team than they are, but they're actually, uh, as it sits in that 15 slot in um, the uh, AFC. Um, so there's um, there's that, but the Patriots are at the third pick right now. Now, um, here's sort of the, the deal. Um, you have Carolina and Arizona. The Carolina pick is in the hands of the Chicago Bears because they traded from number one to number nine, uh, last year Bears getting an extra pick from Carolina, among other things, um, in those deals. So, the Patriots are probably gonna be in a spot where uh, they may get a chance at Marvin Harrison Jr. They may get a chance at Caleb Williams. They may get a chance at Drake May. And so, if they stay at three, here's sort of where I think things will end up. So the Chicago Bears are probably going to pick Caleb Williams. And I think Justin Fields is a great quarterback, but he's probably going to get traded to another team uh, or uh, go somewhere else um, if they cut him or whatever uh, goes on with Justin Fields. Um, if the Patriots are interested, I think they could try and work out some sort of a deal to bring him in because I think he would be a good quarterback for them. A little bit different than what they're used to, but take a flyer. I don't see it as a bad thing. Uh, depending on what he's expecting money-wise when his contract's up. I'd give him an offer. But there are probably other teams. You know, the Vikings uh, could get involved. Uh, and there are uh, other teams. Washington could be one. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of teams that could get, get in on the race. The Falcons, for sure. And um, basically at this point, for the Patriots... I think they would need to have the uh, Chicago Bears get that number one overall pick because then they'd go for Caleb Williams. I think if Arizona gets number one, they still have Kyler Murray, but I think they would go for Caleb Williams and trade Kyler Murray for whatever they could get. Uh, and then I think Marvin Harrison Jr. would be the second guy taken off that list. I don't think uh, they would go um, with uh, Drake May um, because... I think Caleb Williams is just so transcendent uh, that that's what they want. So I want Marvin Harrison Jr. on the Patriots because I think he would be like an amazing wide receiver. And Bill Belichick hasn't had a chance to draft a wide receiver this high. And um, with, uh, you know, the Patriots in their spot, uh, this would be perfect for them. Um, you know, they've had a lot of uh, good wide receivers, uh, but many of those have come through 
other spots in the draft and in trades and in a million other places. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at who the Patriots have had on their roster, um, you know, none of them have been this high at the wide receiver spot. And there have been the issues with first-round wide receivers, but at the same time, those have been picks in the 20s or in the teens or what have you. For example, Nikhil Harry. Um, and so I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is your best choice. If he's off the board, Drake May is your best choice. And there are a lot of people saying we got to go offensive tackle, but I just don't know at the three pick you can take one of those offensive tackles because I think there's a handful of guys that are available at the second round or you could trade into the first round at the end to get one. Um, the top six or so guys are all offense quarterbacks, wide receiver, offensive tackle. There isn't a ton of defensive players at the top, and thankfully that's a good thing because the Patriots don't need uh, to draft uh, high with defense right now because their offense needs a lot more work. And we drafted Keon White, Christian Gonzalez in the first two rounds last year, so I think uh, offense is a good way to start. Uh, So I'd say Marvin Harrison Jr. is my top choice. Drake May is my second, and a third one would be... um, Olawanu uh, Fasundu, I'm probably saying that wrong, offensive tackle, and then uh, Joe Alt, offensive tackle. Those two also would be good options. Um, And I really, if you get a pick this high, don't want uh, Belichick trading back because Belichick likes to trade back, but I would hope um, he doesn't. And, I mean, my thought process here is that maybe Bill Belichick wouldn't uh, trade back because they're so high up and they haven't gotten a pick this high. Um, who knows what's going on with Bill Belichick, though, um, because uh, there are a lot of people who wanted Bill Belichick and want Bill Belichick out, but then there was reports that he signed like a new contract secretly uh, over the offseason, and it just kind of came out, and um, so I don't know if he's he's here or what, uh, but um, if he's making these calls, he should keep the pick uh, for sure, and so you know, we're sitting at three, and obviously that could change, but I think uh, we have a solid uh, core of defensive players. I think we got to go offense. And I think for the Patriots, they could potentially go for a quarterback in the second round and try and hit on uh, one of those other guys. Um, you know, uh, I think there's an argument to be made uh, that drafting a quarterback at the top might not always pan out. And so, you know, wait around. Uh, that could be awesome. Uh, And so there's just a bunch of different questions that'll have to eventually be answered um, by the Patriots when it comes to the draft. Uh, So when we get there, we'll see what happens. So moving on to the uh, Boston Red Sox. And um, if you're looking at where we're at with the Red Sox, we have... um, a lot of a lot of things going on, um, you know. And the biggest, obviously, was Craig Breslow coming in, and uh, that is uh, important. Now there is also reports uh, of uh, the Red Sox looking to fill the pitching coach role, um, and Craig Breslow has uh, maybe a chance at bringing someone in that there's connections to. So uh, right now, um, the Giants' pitching coach is Andrew Bailey who was a former teammate of Craig Breslow's, uh, who was not really happy with his opportunities in San Francisco. Um, and also they uh, 
are uh, together with uh, this uh, strike three cancer uh, thing that they do together. Um, and uh, there is a chance that he would want to come to uh, this team. I was reading an article from SI.com. They were talking about um, everything with Breslow. Chris uh, Cotillo. Uh, Breslow is expected to have full autonomy over all operations of Boston's baseball operations, including the coaching staff, which has two vacancies, pitching coach and third base coach. Uh, his hiring would seem to increase the chances of the Red Sox make a run at Giants pitching coach Andrew Bailey, a former teammate and close friend of Breslow's who is considering other opportunities after an impressive run in San Francisco. So, um, he was with... Uh, the Red Sox uh, in 2012-2013 uh, and became the pitching coach in 2020 for the Giants. Um, so uh, there is a chance that, you know, Breslow could bring in his friend. Uh, and this guy would definitely um, help out uh, the the organization pitching-wise, uh, which would be great. Um, so for uh, Breslow, he's going to have a lot of uh, big decisions to make. He's going to have a lot of big choices uh, with this organization um, being sort of the um, the chief baseball guy you know it's going to be an important offseason because I think the Red Sox have been kind of waiting for um, just that sort of you know big pop and you know I think Cheryl Bloom has let us down so much that now we want to you know get someone in there who's going to go full force and I think that's what this organization is going to have, um, and that's uh, important. I also uh, saw um, a bunch of articles talking about uh, potentially um, the Astros and Alex Verdugo um, and how the Astros could use some outfield help and the Red Sox with a lot of outfielders, left-handed outfielders, could be looking to move him. Uh, he is a good um, fielder, and uh, this is uh, SI.com, another article, um, and they say that uh, he's very uh, good fit for left field at Minute Maid Park, um, and uh, it would be a good one-year rental, and it might not cost as much. Um, they do have a few outfielders, but uh, he could be someone that... Uh, could really uh, help their team out. And so this could be uh, a move that uh, the Red Sox decide to go with, um, you know, as a uh, an option, uh, which uh, I don't know if they're going to look to move him, but uh, there is uh, a chance that they have to shake things up. And this could be, um, could be one of those things that, uh, you know, ends up uh, happening, which is uh, important. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, important. Um, so, uh, we're gonna just move on from the Red Sox and we're gonna kind of discuss the Celtics a little bit. Um, and for, um, Boston Celtics, they've looked pretty solid as a, uh, you know, start to the season. Um, and I think something that uh, the Celtics have been doing well this year is they've been shooting the ball better, specifically from the three-point range. And I think one of the things that I've noticed is that the Celtics last season tried to shoot the basketball a lot, 
and they didn't have the players to do that. Marcus Smart was a very shoddy player um, from three, uh, and um, I think uh, Marcus Smart uh, had his uh, insufficiencies at the shooting spot, um, whereas Drew Holiday is a better shooter, Porzingis comes in as a better shooter, um, and I think between your bench, there's some guys that can shoot the basketball, Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, so I think we're overall a better shooting team, which I think that's what Joe Mazzulla is trying to look for in this team that he is building. Um, and so uh, for me, uh, it's it's kind of great to see Porzingis kind of fitting well into his role um, with this team. Uh, and uh, that's important. And so something that I posted on Reddit, on the Celtics subpage uh, for Reddit, is that I feel like Brad Stevens' biggest move and best move as a general manager was trading away Marcus Smart and bringing in Kristaps Porzingis. That, in my opinion, when it's all said and done, might be the best move that the Celtics make. It was a hard move, I'm sure, but probably the best for this team. And so, kind of where I'm at with it is Porzingis comes in with his scoring, his offense, uh, pick and roll, um, I think he is a great defender. He can block shots. Um, and I think bringing in Porzingis for Marcus Smart opened up the opportunity for the Celtics to have maybe a little bit of a need or a little bit more of a push or motivation to go and bring in uh, Drew Holiday. If Marcus Smart was still here and Brogdon had gotten traded for Porzingis, then we wouldn't have had a reason to go for Drew Holiday because in theory, Drew Holiday is a similar player, a better player, but similar player to Marcus Smart, and it wouldn't have been something that they would have gone for. And I think the Celtics wouldn't have traded Robert Williams and Smart for uh, Drew Holiday because I think Smart's value is higher um, than Brogdon's anyways. Um, and so uh, I feel like, and it is early, but I feel like this might be the sort of home run move or one of the home run moves uh, that Brad Stevens makes. And part of it is um, you have someone uh, in Mark Smart who is kind of the voice of your team. And I've always felt like, at least watching these Celtics years, the last few years, I've always felt like if you want to win a championship, you have to have the biggest voices be your superstars. Marcus Smart was our leader, our biggest voice. He was our cheerleader. He was everything that... We were expecting from someone, but Tatum and Brown are your stars, and Tatum and Brown can be and should be the voice of your championship roster. If you look at the Boston Celtics uh, in 2008, the guys who were considered the voices of the Celtics were Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, who were their two best players. And if you look at every championship roster from as long as you can think about it, whether it was uh, Steph Curry with Golden State, whether it was LeBron James with Cleveland, whether it was Giannis in Mil Milwaukee, any championship roster has their biggest voices are stars. The best players or their second best player. Marcus Smart last season was probably fourth best player behind Derek White, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Um, and he was the voice of this team. You're not going to win a championship with that. And so getting rid of Marcus Smart also gives guys like Tatum and Brown a chance to actually use their voice and speak up and be the face of this team. 
when you need your stars to do that. And even Drew Holiday and Porzingis are all stars and have been all stars. And, um, you know, they can kind of give you that big voice. Uh, obviously, they haven't been here. So I think uh, it's going to probably rely a lot more on Tatum and Brown. But I think you're kind of setting yourselves up for more success having those guys kind of be the leaders of this team compared to Marcus Smart, who, yeah, in a lot of ways he was great defensively, but he couldn't really back it up on offense. Your leader in the fourth quarter, you want them in the huddle being like, all right, we got this. You know, if you're down by 10 points with five minutes left, you want your leader to get you pumped and motivated, but then your leader's going to go out there and he's going to score, you know, eight straight points and he's going to get you back in the game. You know, you want that from like Tatum and guys who can do that. And, you know, I think um, getting rid of Smart gives, you know, Tatum and Brown a chance to step up as leaders, which is uh, a lot more important. So I think this Marcus Smart trade is going to have a lot more benefits to the Celtics. And I think Marcus Smart in, in many ways was hindering our ability to be a championship roster. And for years, Marcus Smart was on this team because he was a good defensive player, but also because he was the heart of this team. And it was it's kind of hard to, to trade away someone like that. But I think in Brad Stevens' sort of way of doing things, that is exactly what he wanted to do, is to get better. And I think Brad Stevens, as much as he loves his players, has kind of tried to take the emotional side of things out of his decision making, which a lot of general managers don't always do, and that might be a part of why they're not as successful. And so, if you have, uh, you know, talent on your roster, then nothing really needs to change. But also, if you look at where the Celtics are and where a lot of teams are, um, you know, Brad Stevens has learned that you got to sell while the value is at its highest, because you're not gonna, you know, get as much back, right? When it comes to Marcus Smart, is he going to be as good uh, next year or the year after? Um, I don't know. Robert Williams, you know, everyone loves Robert Williams, and I loved Robert Williams. But if another injury comes that's catastrophic and ends his uh, season, how's that going to mess with him and his knees and his value? And So Brad Stevens knows when you have to get rid of someone, and he's at a point where he feels like, you know, it's hard moves, but they have to be made. And I think most fans in general could never do what Brad Stevens does and what these guys do in these front office positions because they have so much connection to players that they would be so tied to a guy like Marcus Smart where they wouldn't move him. You know, you have a deal like this in place and then they're in the last minute the Clippers are like, we're all out because of the Brogdon side of things. And so now they have to scramble to get this deal done and they get this done with Memphis you know, would a lot of people be open to making a Porzingis trade if it meant getting rid of Marcus Smart, especially in that sort of last minutes of things? Maybe not. And so Brad Stevens has to make these tough decisions that sometimes are the right ones. You look at what the Celtics did with Derek White. They traded away Josh Richardson. People liked Richardson. He had just joined the team. Uh, they liked uh, Romeo Langford. They always uh, were high on him. I wasn't as high, but... Um, a lot of people were high on Romeo Langford. We got rid of a first-round pick and then that pick swap. And there were so many people just on Reddit and just in social media that were so upset with the trade because they felt like, oh, why are we trading away all these picks? And even like that pick swap, like down the line, they were like, why are we doing a pick swap in it for Derek White? And to be honest, Brad Stevens looks at this 
in a different way than a lot of us do. And I can't really say anyone's upset because Derek White's been lights out. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes he makes tough moves and a lot of people just kind of um, look at every situation from the emotional aspects and the Celtics, you know, are trying to, to win and that's all that really matters. And so to me, I, I think Marcus Smart getting traded might have been the best thing the Celtics team could have done because we've had three, four, however many years of championship runs that have failed and what's been our constants? We've had Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart is not, you know, a star. So um, he's the easiest player to move money-wise, easiest player to move uh, value-wise. Um, and, um, you know, no one was trading Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So this is definitely going to be a move that could come down um, in Celtics history as a big bust or it could come down as a big uh, success. I'm hoping... I believe it's probably going to be a big success, but we'll have to monitor how Porzingis does, how uh, Marcus Smart does throughout the season, and see where it is um, for sure. 